Create an Unstoppable Life, episode 156. Create an Unstoppable Life is all about mindset for the high achiever to help you build a life of fulfillment and freedom. I'm your host, Dina George, MD, a mindset and marketing coach and a family medicine physician. It's an honor to spend time with you today. Today is another fantastic day, and I'm so proud. I'm so honored to introduce you to a woman who I've thought is incredibly thoughtful for years. I first saw her speak at a Society for Hospital Medicine conference, and her joy, her love of the geriatrics population really stood out, as well as practical tips to serve better. I then got to see her again at a conference where she is such a, a supporter of a dear friend and her thoughtfulness and how she came through and how she led dancing and really inspired the group came out. And then we got to meet again and where she shared her love for my friend, shared her thoughtfulness in the form of a gift there. And this is truly such a joy to be with you. This is Dr. Avel, Avel Green. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So how that's how I would describe you. Joyful, loving, thoughtful, present, truly just a role model of an amazing human. How would you introduce you? Thank you, Dina. This is wonderful. You're filling my cup, filling my cup today. Um, What you see is what you get. What you hear is what you get. I am who I am and there are no excuses Uh, I'm a physician. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a friend. I'm a daughter. I'm a companion. I'm a co-laborer. I work at Baylor Scott and White in Temple and I am the division director for geriatric medicine, the medical director of hospice. And thus I consider myself to be a doula for the end of life. So um, just as we need people to help us along the journey of childbirth, of entering the world. That's really how I see my role in medicine, but on the other end of the journey, a doula for the end of life. And that that's how I would describe myself. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. One of the, the things that I was so struck by for, for Don's birthday party was how you spoke about your kids and how your kids want to spend time with you, just the things that they would say to you or, or how you would describe them, how they would describe you was so beautiful. How did you become you? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's really interesting. So I have three daughters, uh, 15, 13 and eight. And what I tell people is they follow me around like little baby ducklings So much so that if people see me without my daughters, they wonder what's wrong. Where are they? Are they okay? And, you know, I think there's a part of me that wanted to give them a different experience than I had. My mother, um, whom I lost earlier this year, she passed away in February, was a beautiful woman, taught me a lot about thoughtfulness, but she wasn't present at the beginning of my life. I was actually raised by my grandmother. 
And I did not live with my mother until my grandmother died. And at that time, I believe I was a sophomore in high school. So I was essentially grown by the time I got to live with my mother. And then I went off to college. So I didn't have those formative years with her. And I've tried to be very intentional with my daughters and making sure that they have that time with me. So there's a part of me that says, oh, you bring them along too much or you let them be too close or they're going to be dependent on you. But then there's another part of me that says, no, this is what mothers and daughters do. And I'm having the opportunity to experience it on the other end of the spectrum as the mother, not having been able to experience it as the daughter, but definitely missing that imprint on my life. So there's been a little bit of a dichotomy for me, a little bit of back and forth, uh, a little bit of tension, Um, but it is such a joy uh, for me to mother them and to watch them develop into the people that they were when they entered the world. You know, babies are born. They've got a whole personality, a whole agenda, a whole purpose, a whole destiny that we don't get to know, but we get to watch it unfold. And so I try to make myself um, home for them in a way that they feel comfortable growing, comfortable not knowing comfortable messing up, comfortable doing it over in my presence, that they don't feel uh, such a reverence for me, that they don't feel like they can be themselves. And so what that means is we have a really close relationship and they follow me around like I'm joined at their hips. (laughs) Do you, how do you think about it in terms of the intentions, do you think about them as thoughtful intentions? Do you think about them as deepening relationships? Just, just who you're being, what, like, what are the words that you would use to describe it? Absolutely. I would use uh, thoughtfulness. I would use intentional. I would use present. I don't want to live my life with so much vigor that I'm, that I'm actually missing it. And I realized that the time we have with our children is so fleeting. And so I want to be mindful when I'm with them and present when I'm with them so that they know that they matter, not only to me, uh, but to the rest of the world. And if they don't learn that with me, they won't They won't learn that anywhere else. Or by the time they learn it, they may have experienced um, some hurt and pain that, that, that was needless because they didn't learn it early enough. And I know that as a mother, I can't shield them from all of the slip ups, mess ups, all of the hurt and the pain. But if I can live present enough with them to give them the tools that they need to evolve into the people they're destined to be. Um, If I can put a little bit of wind beneath their wings rather than drag, right. Um, Then I feel like I've done, 
I've done my, my duty as a parent. And I want to keep asking how questions. And, and what I realize is that the how just comes from the idea of how do I lift up? Or how do I decrease the resistance that maybe I'm creating? Or what is the resistance that's being created? Mm-hmm. And addressing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it it, uh, it takes a lot of courage and humility. It's really interesting to see your children sort of mirror the best of you and the worst of you. Especially when they're young and they don't have a frontal lobe. <laughs> Pull it back. I watched one of my children when they were like five. I can't even remember which daughter it was, but I thought, oh my gosh, that's me with no frontal lobe. Okay. (laughs) Now I know what I need to teach and what I need to train to, but that's exactly what it is. It's wanting to make sure that I'm, I'm doing what I can to make the path clearer. Um, and to, to help them be freer, we all are born into families of origin that we did not choose. And we can look at things that we've inherited from them, that we've benefited from. And we can also look at things that we've inherited that maybe made things a little bit more challenging. And so if I'm living my life in a way that's intentional for my own growth and development, I've got to examine both. I've got to examine the strengths. I've got to examine the weaknesses, fully embrace them all, and then say, okay, what can I learn from both the strengths and the weaknesses that I can then pass on to the next generation? At the conference, that's what I saw from you, that very intentional presence that ability to look around and and sense what's going on and selectively contribute or or selectively add something. When you gave the talk down in San Antonio, it, it was the same thing. It was looking at how do we lift up? How do we raise up knowledge? How do we raise up uh, questions that maybe people are embarrassed to ask or or ashamed that maybe something happened with an older person? And, and how do you address that in a way like that we can move, we can learn from and we can move on from? Yeah, I think it's just being authentic and, and vulnerable to use some terms that we tossed around a lot at the conference, because the thing about life is um, none of us are going to get out of it alive. Okay. (laughs) We only have one shot. And so I want to make sure that I make this count. I woke up the other morning with this Mahalia Jackson song in my head. Now I've got a whole soundtrack to life playing in my head. And my children will tell you, somebody will say something and I'll just break out with a song, right? Like (laughs) Black Velvet. (laughs) I'll just break out and I'll start singing it. It's really kind of funny. There's this whole musical thing going on in my head. So the other day, and so I pay attention right? To whatever the music is in my head. So I woke up with this Mahalia Jackson song in my head, um, famed gospel singer. And the recording that I listened to was three minutes and 46 seconds. It was one chorus and one verse, but it was a whole story. And it says, if I can help somebody as I travel along the way, then my living will not, shall not 
be in vain. And that's really the whole story. It's whole story. It's a beautiful song. She was a beautiful artist. But that is really how I approach my work and my life. So that if I'm sitting in a room, like at the conference, and I do, I sense energy. I think I'm an empath. I think, and I say that with all humility, because I feel things. And so if I, if I'm, picking up on something that I feel like needs to be articulated, then it's not something that I feel I have the option to do or to not do. And so when I share, you said share selectively, I do, because for every sentence, there are 10 that I thought of that I didn't say, but I want to make sure that what I say counts that people know that they matter, that they know that they're seen, that they're heard, that they're loved, and that they come away from whatever experience they've had with me wanting to be the best of who they are. Not wanting to be like me, but wanting to be the best of who they are. That's how I feel with my children. And that's how I feel with interactions that I have with work, with friends. And I think that only happens if you live authentically and if you have the courage to be vulnerable, because then you can become a mirror for other people of the best, right? Or of the truth even if that's not the best, right? Because if someone mirrors for you the truth and it's not your best, that's a blessing because it's an opportunity to make a different choice. And so that's what I want to be. And I've never really articulated it like that, but I think that's what drives me is I want to be uh, a mirror and and I want other people to be that for me, but that only happens if you have the courage to be brave and authentic and vulnerable, it all goes together. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. And it takes a lot of courage Mm -hmm. because it means saying, I don't know. And it means saying that I'm human. Mm -hmm. And sometimes my human is really going to come out and it's letting that be okay. Yeah. While letting it be okay, while striving for better, Mm -hmm. better levels is there a time that you remember or maybe that you gave words to say, this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be? Hmm. You know, I don't know. I think when I wrote that Ariki for Dawn, because that was the other part of the gift, was I wrote an Ariki for her. And an oriki uh, comes from a, a Nigerian tradition. It's like a praise, um, an affirmation of who you are as a person. And I happened to be reading a book at the time called The Professional Troublemaker. Um, and the author is of Nigerian origin, and she shares this, um, this tradition in the book. And so I thought, oh. I'm going to write an Ariki for myself and I'm going to write one for Dawn since it's her birthday. It just happened to coincide. 
I think that's the first time that I ever sat down and said, this is who I am. And what's really funny about that is I wrote Don's Ariki before I wrote, <laughs> before I wrote my own, um, because I needed to get that done for her birthday and I could do mine whenever. So writing that Ariki for her was sort of my practice in writing one for me. And it made it a little bit easier for me to sit down and write my own. But I think that was the first time that I have ever said, this is who I am. And this is my, this is my purpose. You, you truly are an amazing soul. And my guess is that in groups, like if you were to go to a place, you could easily feel part of it, but who you are and how you interact in the world is so unique that my guess is you don't meet many that meet you at that same place. Well, I think our society has created this alternative uh, reality of self where we all have this little avatar <laughs> we put out, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram or Zoom even, that is sort of our front man or our front woman. And it is expected that that's who you're going to be when you show up in person. It's whoever that front man or that front woman is that you're putting out on social media. And it doesn't leave much room for authenticity. But what I have figured out is that authenticity breeds authenticity. And so even if you show up in a room where people have kind of arrived with their avatar out front, if you are the one drop of authenticity in the room, then you will find with time and intention, the walls start coming down because people can't help but see that if I'm going to interact with this person who's being authentic, then I'm going to have to be that as well. And I don't know how that happens. I don't know the science of it. I don't know the psychology of it. But the chemistry of it that I feel is that you're able to sort of coax people out from behind the mask that they've created with this avatar that they put out uh, for the rest of the world to see. And if, they, if they're going to meet me and have a genuine relationship with me, they've got to come out. They've got to come out of the closet, you know? <laughs> Sure. Because that's how I am. What you see is what you get. And it's really funny. People tell me all the time because they know I'm a physician. They know I have these leadership positions and titles and whatnot, that when they have an opportunity to actually meet me, they think, wow, you're so down to earth. And I had no idea. And in my head, I'm thinking, who did you think I was? I tell people all the time. What you see is what you get. I am who I am. If you run into me at HEB in the grocery store, I'm going to be exactly the same. And, you know, that's 
much simpler for me because I don't have to juggle and code switch. And it, it, it allows me to use my energy for other things. What I really noticed at the conference was that craving for, for real conversation, that craving to set down the titles and set down the mask and set down the defensiveness mm-hmm. and really connect. Mm-hmm. So it's fascinating. And I, I appreciate you saying to when you're the drop, there is that share of energy. It creates a safer place for people to really express who they are, to express their opinions and high achievers. We know how to interact in the world. We know how to be seen in a certain way. That's very socially acceptable, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we know who we are or we know how to be ourselves or we know how to trust ourselves in environments that don't from the outside look like we fit in. That's right. That's right. It is something that we have to work on intentionally because when you show up as a physician wearing that coat or that hat, if you will, there is a certain level of expectation of of what that's going to look like. And it's so funny. I talked about this with the DEI presentation I gave last weekend. I often get the, oh, you're Dr. Green. It's like, yes, I am. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you. Okay, what were you expecting, right? So that opens up some opportunities for self-awareness, you know, even in those interactions. But you're right. You're right. We've got a role to play. We've got a script. And we're either going to memorize the part and be robots, or we're going to show up and be genuine and just live it. And that's what I choose to do because it's, as I said, it's simpler and it actually takes less energy. For sure. Mm-hmm. You only have to remember to, uh, to go, to be in that space, be in that space of intention. What I, that's what I have to remember, be in that space of intention, mm-hmm. not try to control the world around me, influence what I can share my words and ideally work towards better, better for me and creating better environments for others. I think it's really important too, in teaching environments. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was working with a resident just yesterday and the, the ability to communicate on a real level to not expect that he needed to be anyone different or he needed to know any more than he does and to have a real conversation. It was, it, it was refreshing Mm -hmm. and it's not usual in medicine, uh, but it was refreshing because we could talk about what's happening with the individual, what's happening at a biological level, what's happening at a, a psychosocial level. We could make a plan for their care and put context to things that are disparate for somebody in training. Like they may understand what a chemistry panel is, but understanding what a chemistry panel is in acute liver failure is a different thing. So we could bridge a gap to communicate on a real level without an expectation of who the other person needs to be and working towards a common goal of how do we help this person reach a better place than they're in right now? Because right now is not such a good place. Right. Right. And that's really freeing. I thought that was beautiful. What you said that the, the learner, the resident could come into that space and not 
feel the pressure expectation to be anything else, to know any more than what they know in that moment. That was a really powerful statement because a lot of times, and I think that's where imposter syndrome comes from, right? I'm not enough. I don't know enough. I don't know what I need to know. Somebody's going to figure that out. I'm going to screw something up, right? Whereas if you come into the situation and say, I'm here, I am enough, and I'm going to do the best that I can with what I have. People in general, patients in particular, really appreciate that. Because when we meet them, it's often at a time of crisis and at their lowest point, they put the avatar down. They put the the pride down, right? It's those basic human needs that people have, the human desires, the desire to live. And when we walk into the room, they see us as someone who can help them at this very high impact part of the journey. So being able to come in with that kind of presence and intentionality and authenticity, you're right. I think it's fertile soil for us to be able to show learners how to take the cognitive work and then put that together in context for the human being the fellow human being that's sitting in front of us at the moment and what those labs and imaging studies mean for that person's life. That's what a good doctor is, Mm -hmm. right? It's not the smartest person who knows all the facts and who can quote all the studies. It's the person who can put that all together in a way that improves that person's life, helps them to understand where they are, what the next steps could be, uh, what their options are. I think that's the most meaningful thing to people. And we act like we don't know how to teach it in medical education. But if we show up with intentionality, it actually teaches itself. We just have to show up ready to be in that space. And that makes all the difference in the world. So I bet the interaction you had yesterday was very meaningful, not only for you and for the patient, but also for that resident. I'm glad that person had an opportunity to spend some time with you learning. Thank you. That's, that's such the joy in medicine. It's Mm -hmm. to slow down, be present, share knowledge, but, but more so share knowledge in a way that applies context Absolutely. so that we're, we're teaching a process rather than teaching a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. And I, and when we were talking earlier about the, how it's not a, how it's a process. Mm-hmm. It's a process of understanding self, understanding the influence and impact that is available just by being self by allowing it and by not having to have the answers or know how to respond to every possible thing that could happen. That's and then right. It, and then it's hearing, looking, sensing, feeling that the individual or, or the environment to get clues about what's going on here. What's mm-hmm. my mission here? Mm-hmm. You know, what's mm-hmm. my role here? Is my role to to contribute? Is my role to sense? Is my role to just be calm, be still? Mm -hmm. I'd love your thoughts. (laughs) And I love yours too. And I think that um, someone said the other day, 
I was on a palliative care panel and someone said, one of the panelists said, it's our job to be the human Ativan in the room. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, oh my gosh, I love that. I love that. That's what people mean when they say, I love being in your presence. That's what people mean when they say, I just like being with you, right? Whatever that chemical neurobiological reaction is, right? (laughs) That's what we can do for and with each other if we show up and we're present. But you can't do that if you don't show up with intention and authenticity and vulnerability, you can't do that if you have this alternative self that you're putting out there because it blocks all of that. But I thought that was so funny. The human Ativan in the room. <laughs> so it's fun that you say that. What What is a great compliment? Like what's something that, that somebody says that you're like, ah, oh, reaches you right in the heart? Yeah, you know, I want to be able to hear someone say that they felt seen and heard and better, right, for an interaction with me. It doesn't matter if it's in work or in my family life, personal life, if people feel seen and feel heard. And they feel better for having interacted with me. I think that's the purpose of human interaction on every single level. And if you think about some of the problematic behaviors that we have in our society, it's because people don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. They're engaging in things that don't actually make them feel better, that don't actually fill their cup. And so they act out and they respond to all of that negativity, but it's very simple. It's very basic. It's not technologically advanced. If, if people can come away, you know, I was thinking about the other day when I was preparing for this and thoughtfulness, where did I learn that? Where did I get that? So I'm going to share with you a couple of examples where People made me feel like my life mattered, that I was seen and that I was heard. So one is my my spouse. I've been married to him for 22 years. And this was early, early on in, in our marriage, but we were living in Virginia and I worked in nursing homes in the surrounding communities and counties. So I was in a totally different county seeing patients. And I don't know where he was coming from, but he was on his way home and drove through the county that I was working in on his way home. Well, he drove by this nursing home and my car was sitting there because I was in the nursing home seeing patients. And he pulled into the parking lot and he wrote me a little note. I can't even remember what it said. But, and he has beautiful handwriting. So as soon as I saw the handwriting, I knew it was him. Wrote me this little note, stuck it on my windshield under the windshield wiper, and then went on about his business. So when I came out at the end of the day to go home, there's this note on my windshield. (laughs) 
And it was so sweet. Again, I cannot remember what it said, but just like, I believe it was my Angela, people will forget what you say, but they will never forget how you made them feel. What I felt in that moment was that I was living and breathing outside of myself in somebody else's heart and mind such that they were thinking about me when they were not with me, such that their behavior that they chose was to stop and leave me a note of encouragement on my car. That's an existence outside of me. I've got an existence. I'm living and breathing in somebody else's mind and in somebody else's heart in a way that influences their behavior. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And I actually told him, I said, you know, that just made me feel so special that you were thinking about me in that way when you weren't with me. My mother was like that. Someone asked me, what of my mother I wanted to carry forward since I just lost her, lost her this February. And I said, you know, I'm going to have to think about that. But what came to me after about a week of turning that over in my head is she had a way of making people feel like they were a first thought, not an afterthought. And it would be simple things like a text message reminder about daylight savings time. Don't forget to change your clock. It's little <laughs> things like that. It, she knows that I'm going a mile a minute, that I've got these three kids and this full-time job. And she would just text things like that, thinking not only um, about me as a daughter, but as a woman who's juggling a lot of things, knowing that some of those details might not be at the forefront of my mind. And I would get that text message and I would feel the same way I felt when I walked out of the nursing home and saw that note on my car, that I'm living and breathing and existing outside of myself in somebody else's heart and mind such that it gets into their intention and their behavior and they reach out to me. That's what thoughtfulness is to me. That's what I want to try to reproduce for other people because it's been such a blessing to me. Absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. How you put it into words, the, the meaning, the feeling, the experience for the receiver, for the receiver. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm after. Where, for those of us who want to be more thoughtful, to create experiences filled with thoughtfulness, where do we start? Hmm. <laughs> well, I'll tell you where I had to start. I actually had to start with me. So um, the pandemic was really like a screeching halt for all of us in so many different ways. And before the pandemic, I was, I was going a mile a minute, I was always busy, always doing something so much so that if I were to sit and just do nothing, I could do that for about five minutes before I got anxious and I would get anxious because I felt like I needed to be doing something. It's something I need to be doing somewhere. And so the pandemic 
created this full stop. I mean, screeching, you know, breaks to the floor, stop for all of us. And what it required of me was to sit and spend time with myself. I don't think you can be thoughtful for other people and towards other people if you're not, if you have to be that for yourself first. And so I would say it starts with your giving yourself time and space and grace and compassion. It starts with your asking yourself, what do I want? What do I need in this moment? What is it that I have in my present space that I don't need? I had to learn how to be thoughtful for myself. Now, people will tell you that I've always been a thoughtful person, but since I had this revelation that was really sparked by the full stop that the pandemic became for all of us, I feel like I've been able to be more intentional and more thoughtful towards other people because I had to first create that space for myself. I think the reason it works that way is because getting in touch with who you are and what you need and what you're feeling in the moment really taps into empathy for yourself, right? And that allows you not only to see yourself as human, but to see other people like that as well. So it sounds a little contrived and maybe maybe a little too simple, but I think you have to start with you because you cannot, I actually said this to my husband yesterday, you cannot treat anybody else better than you treat yourself. Contrary to what people say, oh, you know, they, they do things for other people that they wouldn't do for themselves. At the end of the day, you're going to run out of runway with that. You're not going to be able to sustain that. You cannot treat your treat other people better than you treat yourself and if you do you can't do it for long because you have to be able to fill your cup you have to be able to 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 bring virtue in and you can't do that if you're going a mile a minute and not giving time attention and intention to yourself so i really think that's where it starts and it totally makes sense to me because if I don't understand what I'm, what I'm feeling, if I don't give context to it, why I'm feeling a certain way, what, what ingrained challenges are, are going on, I'm not going to be able to see somebody else or try to understand the emotions that they're either experiencing or that they're expressing. But yeah. when I get it, when I get the frustration, when I get the anger, when I get the fear and I walk into a situation, like I totally can get it for somebody else too. That's right. Also, that's right. Also, it's like Brene Brown says, you cannot selectively numb. <laughs> if you're numbing pain, you're numbing joy, you know? And you can't you can't do that selectively for yourself or for other people. So you're right about that. It has to start with you. So it it, it sounds maybe it sounds like a an oxymoron. Mm -hmm. giving to yourself to be more thoughtful to others. But in reality, at least from two experiences here, 
that's the way to, to truly live a more full life and to truly experience human life with others and through others. That's right. What other wisdom can you share with us? Well, um, getting back to this gift, um, so that those listening know, not only did I write in a Reiki, but I also created, I'm into photo projects. So I pulled some pictures together of my dear friend and I had them imprinted on this big, beautiful, soft, cuddly blanket so that she could wrap herself up with those images from her life. And that comes from the fact that we all, our whole life is now absorbed in our smartphone. And most of us probably have thousands of pictures of moments that we spent in our phone. And we took time away from that moment to create that picture often. We look in our phones to tell us what to do, where to go, how to get there, what the weather's going to be like, how we need to dress that day. Our whole life is enshrined in these phones. And so I started making photo projects because I I missed flipping through photo albums. You've got all these pictures in your phone. And so one of the things that, that I've learned is it's really cool when you can pull those, you can extract your life out of your phone. You can rescue your life from your phone. from your phone and create something that people can see and feel and touch. And so one of the things that I found some wisdom in is untangling myself from this device. I've gone silent on most social media platforms. It's created a lot of time for me to be intentional, but also not forgetting all of the pieces, the little pieces of, of our lives that are enshrined, entombed in this phone, going back and rescuing those memories and saying, what was I feeling? What was I experiencing in that moment? And so I like to create gifts like that. So I've created whole calendars for my family. I've created photo books around trips that we've taken. Um, I've created blankets, (laughs) It's like that with pictures and people really seem to treasure those gifts. And so that's a practical way that you can start reclaiming some of that time and intentionality for yourself is really sort of extracting your life from your phone and, um, and living it again, right. Without being tethered to that device. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not anti-phone. That's not what I'm saying, but If you think about it, our whole life is really enshrined here. And uh, I think you can live a pretty interesting life if you can untether yourself a little bit and then go back and dig up the pieces of your life that you've buried here. And that's, that's what I do when I create photo projects. Yeah. The Ariki, the blanket, there were some other things. Was it a mouse pad? Right. I printed the Ariki on a mouse pad and I framed the Ariki. And then the Ariki was one of the panels on the blanket because the pictures 
are really the, the living memory of how you create this narrative about who I am. And so that's what I really wanted to, to create with the gift. And then you can wrap yourself up in that because you'll have experiences where life will make you wonder, who am I? Where am I going? What am I doing? And I wanted to create something that was tangible, that was soft, that felt nurturing, right? That you could literally feel and wrap yourself up in your purpose, in your life, in your intentionality, in those relationships that are meaningful to you. And that's, that's what it came out to be, is a blanket imprinted with pictures and, and a poem that I wrote for her that really um, articulates who she is to me and how I see her. Amazing. Just beautiful. For those that want to write in Ariki, the, the idea comes from the book. Which book? Can you remind me? It's The Professional Troublemaker. And the author is uh, Lovey Jones. And she actually has a website called The Ariki Challenge. It's O-R-I-K-I. And you can Google it. And she actually tells you how to write an Ariki for yourself. But if you read her book, The Professional Troublemaker, she explains the origins of that. And she even in the audiobook, has someone read uh, the Ariki of her grandmother in her native tongue. It's very, very powerful. Um, but yes, it's the professional troublemaker. And the passage that you read from the book, she's funny too. Oh, hilarious. Hilarious. I have now discovered audiobooks. I know I'm almost 50, but I finally discovered audiobooks because I love to turn pages, but I usually sort of go to sleep if I'm trying to read a book book. But if I can listen to it while I'm driving, I stay engaged. She is hilarious and is really a wonderful storyteller. There are lots of really good nuggets in that book. And I'm so glad I read it for so many reasons, not the least of which is the Ariki, because writing your own Ariki, I think is a very powerful statement of intention and may even help to guide the rest of your life and the choices that you make, because you can always go back and say, who am I? Who, who do I want people? It's sort of like, you know, writing your epitaph, right? Who, who do you want people to say that you are, write it and then be it. And then it'll be so. I'm so glad to know you. Thank you for <laughs> being here. You. Thank, thank you, you for, for having me. I really appreciate it. This has been you. fun. Thank you for being part of my world. Thank you for helping me see what a better life looks like, which is a life with more intention a life with more presence, a life with those little touches that mean everything. And they don't have to be, they're, they're not expensive energy and, and a little bit of time. That's right. And that creates a lot more fulfillment, a lot more freedom. And impact. Absolutely. And impact. Mm -hmm. Is there a place people can find you? Because when they listen, they're going to be like, I need to hear more. <laughs> I want to hear more. 
That's so funny. You know, I am, as I said, I've gone, I've gone dark on the web. <laughs> and I did that during the pandemic for, for a lot of reasons, but I just had to, I had to shut things out and, and really pay attention to myself. But the only place I'm alive uh, on the web is there are two places actually. One is LinkedIn. So I am on LinkedIn. You can look for me, AVAL, green like the color, and you'll find me. And the other place is my Zumba webpage. So I'm a Zumba instructor. I teach Zumba class once a week at one of our local fitness clubs. And so I have my own webpage. Uh, so you can find me on Zumba.com. And if you're in my area, you should come by and dance with me because I'll make you sweat and have fun doing it. And it'll be wonderful. Absolutely. My friend, you are an inspiration. Thank you again. Thank you, Dina. Create clarity and simplicity with all of your marketing so that the people you serve know how you can help them. As a StoryBrand certified guide, I help physicians create this to launch or grow any type of business. Sign up for a consult call with me at georgemdcoaching.com.